0: Title of the series is Unstoppable, and I try to think of something that is unstoppable. And I came across this video of this wave that uh, just looks so powerful and unstoppable. And let me see if I can get that going. Oops! Wait, I'm gonna get back. Hold it! I gotta show it to you. Hold it! One second. Here we go. Look at that thing, man. Power. How many of you have surfed a wave like that? I, I did till I broke my pinky, and then I stopped. Um, But wow, look at that power. You can't stop it. And I saw that and I thought, you know, it's like the church. When Jesus said, uh, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The church is unstoppable. And it's going to keep growing and more and more people come into faith in Christ. And you're part of that. The book of Acts, the story of it, continues today because you're part of the story of the church. The bottom line of our talk today is this. Jesus gives his final instructions to his disciples before he ascends into heaven. His mission for them remains as the mission of the church today and should guide us in prioritizing our lives and the life of the entire church. And you know the church is not a building. It's people. The Greek word for church in the New Testament is the word ekklesia, which means ek, out of, klesia, called. The called out ones. You've been called out of the world. You have this amazing mission that Jesus gave to us. You have a purpose in your life that will make an impact for all of eternity. Nothing else in your life will ever do that. Only what you do for Jesus Christ and this book is an amazing book that gives us an overview of how the church was born and how it began to grow. You know, we have four gospels, four accounts of the life of Christ. We only have this one account of the birth and growth of the church. Without this book, man, we wouldn't know about a lot of the beginnings of the church. The The, the importance of this book cannot be overstated. And that's why I think it's so important for us to study it. Let me tell you a bit about the author. The author's name is a guy by the name of Luke. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. Pretty easy to find. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels. Then this historical book called the Book of Acts, written by a guy named Luke. Let me tell you about him. He was a Gentile, most likely did not become a believer until after the resurrection. He was the author of the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Uh, The book of Acts. So if you take those two books together, Luke is, as it says up there, the most literary or prolific writer in the New Testament. Paul comes in a close second. Luke is the most prolific writer in the New Testament. The the book of uh, Acts and, of course, the Gospel of Luke. So if you have your Bibles, turn there. I want to read it, all right? Acts chapter 1. Let's read Acts chapter 1 says this in the first book he's talking about the gospel of luke right so luke is writing this this is the sequel book number two in the first book O theophilus now theophilus is kind of a mystery scholars debate who is this guy named theophilus the 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 name actually means loved by god right loved by god theophilus And I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Some believe this guy, Theophilus, may have been a high-ranking Roman official. This is a code name for him. I don't know if you know this. I may have shared this with you, but I was almost named Theophilus. I was almost named Theophilus. I know with a name like Melvin, you're probably wondering, why would parents ever consider another name when he has Melvin? But I was almost named Theophilus. My, my dad looked at me and said, that's Theophilus-looking kid I've ever seen. And it almost stuck. I almost, it, thankfully, I mean, I can be thankful I got Melvin instead of Theophilus. But it, we're not sure who this guy was. We believe he might have been a high-ranking Roman official. So Paul gives him this, I'm sorry, Luke gives him this code name, Theophilus. Let's keep reading. He said, I, I began to deal with all this in the first book until the day that Jesus was taken up and he'd been given commands to the Holy Spirit, to the apostles whom he had chosen. To then he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. I love the word proofs here. I hope you know and believe in your heart that believing in Jesus Christ does not mean you throw out your brains, that the proof... The evidence that is there is a large body of evidence. Last week I asked you to pray for me. I was meeting with my son's friend uh, Sunday afternoon who uh, was doubting the existence of God. And so we did meet. But I thought, you know, I'm going to invite the mom and dad as well. I'm going to tell them, listen, I'm going to share some things with your son this afternoon. And I thought it would be good to share it with him. And Caden was there. But then I said to them, if you want to come afterwards and hear exactly what I shared with them, I'd love you to come over and I'll share it with you. And they too came over to the house and heard all the evidence that I had. Not all of it. I only got through about half of it. Evidence for the existence of God and the resurrection. See, the proof and the evidence is powerful. I hope you know that today. I hope you can share that with your friends. The evidence is powerful. For Jesus and the resurrection and the existence of God. And we see his fingerprints all around us. Let's keep reading. It says this. And while staying with them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. In this series, we're going to talk about what does it mean to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of confusion about the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the church today. Verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Jesus, are you going to set up your earthly kingdom now? Jesus said this. It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you'll receive power. Here's the key verse of of the book of Acts, by the way. Verse 8. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. See, this verse, Acts 1-8, gives us an outline for the entire book of Acts. The action starts in Jerusalem, eventually goes to Judea and Samaria and begins to reach out to the uttermost parts of the earth with the travels of Paul, planting churches all around the Mediterranean world. This is the key verse of the book. This is the mission that Jesus gave them. You'll receive power. The word here is dunamis in the Greek. It's this power that you need to live the life God has called you to live. He will never ask you to do anything unless he gives you the strength and the power and makes it available for you to do it. And then he says the word witnesses in the greek it's the word martyreo we've talked about this word in the past the greek word martyreo is the root word from which we get the word what in english martyr exactly initially it just meant to witness to share what you've seen and heard but in the early church if you did that you were often persecuted and possibly killed for your faith So it became a word that represented people who were willing to die for what they believed was true, which is a powerful piece of evidence for the resurrection. All 12 disciples ended up giving their lives as martyreos, witnesses, those who would be willing to give their lives for what they knew really happened. Jesus rose again from the dead. That was the mission. That was the plan. And it would start in the region of Judea, As you know, they started in Jerusalem, which is in Judea, started there. It would eventually go north to a place called what? Samaria. Can you imagine what the disciples felt when Jesus said that? Jesus, why couldn't you have said Galilee? Let us go to get, we don't want to go to Samaria. Why didn't they want to go to Samaria? Because there were Samaritans that lived there, right? The Jews hated Samaritans. They didn't belong in the nation of Israel. They were planted there by the Assyrians when the Assyrians uh, conquered and destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel in 722 B.C. They replaced them with people from other nations which eventually evolved into the group known as the Samaritans. Jews didn't like Samaritans. But see, the gospel message was designed to break down walls. The gospel message was designed to bring people from all walks of life together. If you've traveled at all and you've met Christians in other parts of the world, you know that even though you don't know this person, if they are a believer in Jesus Christ, there is a bond you feel with that person. There is a love that you have for that person because they believe like you do. They believe in Jesus. And what unites you with that person is far greater than anything that could divide us. That's the beauty of the gospel. It breaks down walls. It is so powerful. And the gospel would ultimately go to the ends of the earth. I want to give you a structure of the book of Acts so you have an idea of the big picture of the book that we're about to study. It really can be divided into three sections. The first section, the action takes place in Jerusalem. There, there, there's a lot of things happening. The church is born. Thousands are coming to faith in Christ. Then as persecution arises, the uh, center of attention now is Judea and Samaria. And eventually, in the last part of the book, it will be the uttermost parts of the earth. As Paul goes and plants churches all around the Mediterranean world. If you look at the chapters, it's divided like this. Jerusalem is chapters 1 through 7. Then in chapters 8 through 12, the action takes place in Judea and Samaria. Then chapters 13 through 28, it's in the Mediterranean world as the uttermost parts of the earth are beginning to be reached by the power of the gospel. Who was the central person in Jerusalem in chapters 1 through 7? Who was the person that yet he was afraid to stand up to a servant girl when Jesus was being tried? In chapters 2, he stood up and gives this amazing sermon and 3,000 people come to faith in Christ. Who was that person? Peter, exactly. He's the central person leading the birth and growth of the church. His next sermon, 5,000 people. The church is exploding in numbers. Not because an army walked in and said, hey, you got to believe this way or die. We've talked about this in the past. But because of the power of the resurrection. If I told you today that John F. Kennedy rose from the dead, you'd say, Mel, you're an idiot. You're a fool. His body is still back in Washington, D.C. But these disciples were preaching Jesus Christ and Jesus risen from the dead less than one mile from his empty tomb and thousands came to faith in Christ. It's a powerful defense of the resurrection. Something enormous happened in Jerusalem when the church was born. Then in chapters 8 through 12, I'm sorry, chapters 13 through 20, the central person is the person that leads all these missionary journeys. His name is Paul. So we have Peter, Paul, who do you think the third one is? Peter, Paul, and Mary, exactly. It's a famous singing group. You love them. Great, no, it's not Mary. It's a guy by the name of Philip, right? Philip is the one that goes and preaches to Samaritans. And they come to faith in Christ as well. A revival in Samaria. Who are the people addressed in Jerusalem? Peter's mostly talking to Jews. In chapters 8 through 12, mostly Samaritans. In chapters 13 through 28, Paul is this amazing apostle to the Gentiles as he goes to places like Greece and plants churches. What's the progression of thought? In the beginning, the triumph of the church. People will say, well, Mel, no, there was a lot of persecution. As the church was born, they were persecuted. Exactly what people intended for evil against the church turned out to be something good. God uses the persecution to drive Christians who were huddled together in Jerusalem. They're driven out of Jerusalem because of the persecution. And what do they take with them? The gospel. They take the gospel back with them to their homes and to the places they were going and they share that gospel with other people and the church begins to grow. In chapters 8 through 12 there's a period of transition under that persecution but then in the last section the travels of Paul as the church is planted in many different places by this amazing apostle by the name of Paul. If you're going to summarize the book of Acts in one sentence it would be this. Acts describes the birth of and growth of the New Testament church. That's what the book of Acts is all about. And it gives us an amazing sense of what our roots are here, even in this church in Bonsal. So here's the first thing I want you to remember as we look at this first chapter. It's this. The mission that Jesus gave them gripped the minds and hearts of early believers. This mission gripped them it took a hold of their lives. This was now the most important driving force in their lives, to be witnesses, to be witnesses of what Jesus Christ had done, what he had accomplished. That was the mission that Jesus gave the disciples. And it's a great mission for us as well here at Riverview. You don't have to walk up to me and say, hey, Mel, what's going to be the mission of the church in 2020? What's the new mission? No, we're just going to do what Jesus told us to do, right? Right? that when we talk about what is the best evangelistic plan that we have here at Riverview Church, the best evangelistic plan we have here at Riverview Church is you. Is you going to where God has placed you where God has put you to be a light for Jesus Christ, to live a life that's radically different than the lives that you see in this world without Christ. That we're not living for ourselves, we're living for Jesus. And in so living for Jesus, we live for others. And we put the needs of others ahead of our own. It's an amazing evangelistic plan that God has given to us to be a light for Jesus Christ. To know that he's changed us. And finally, in Christ, we have found a life worth living. See, that mission gripped the early church. It was the priority. I want to ask you today, has it gripped your life? Has that mission gripped your life? Or is it something that's far off in the distance in your thinking? It's not the core of who you are. See, Jesus wants it to be the core of who you are as a follower of him. Here's the second thing I want you to know today. It's this. The apostles anticipated the work of the Spirit in their lives. Something radically changed in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 2, we'll study it. Jesus talked about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And he said this. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. It's going to be amazing work of the Holy Spirit in your life. I want to ask you. Are you anticipating the work of the Holy Spirit in your lives? Ephesians 5.18 tells us this. Do not be drunk with wine, but be what? Fill. Fill with the Spirit, exactly. What he's saying is, don't let a chemical control you. Don't let anything else control you except the Holy Spirit. What guides you every step of the way is your relationship with the Holy Spirit. That He now lives within you. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. That's our task, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Every part of our life under His control, not holding anything back, not saying, okay, Holy Spirit, you can have these areas of my life, but not these. These are mine. I'm the leader here. I don't want you changing the way I act in these compartments of my life. See, you come to the Holy Spirit saying, Lord, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, every part of me every part of me filled with his presence. People have asked me, Mel, why don't we talk more about Jesus than the Holy Spirit? Now, that's a great question. Here's the reason. The reason is Jesus himself said in John chapter 16 that the job of the Holy Spirit will be to glorify me, Jesus said. His job is to lift up Jesus. Jesus said it this way, if I be lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. But here's the caution. We don't want to ignore the Holy Spirit either. The Holy Spirit is the one that lives within you. The Bible says that you now are the temple of God. When the church was born, an amazing miracle happened. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, because of the righteousness we have in Jesus Christ, The Holy Spirit now takes up residence in the hearts and lives of people. Stephen said it, and we'll cover it in a few weeks, in Acts chapter 7, that no longer would God meet in a temple made with human hands. But now God meets with us in the temple of the human heart. He lives within you. It's an amazing presence that we have. An amazing Emmanuel, God with us reality. That God lives within you. See, I was looking at some of these verses. Luke one fifteen says this: John the Baptist, being filled with the Spirit, proclaims the coming of the Lord. Luke 1.41, Elizabeth, being filled with the Spirit, proclaimed a blessing over Mary, the mother of Jesus. In Luke one sixty seven, Zechariah, being filled with the Spirit, prophesied about the coming of the glory of Jesus. Acts two four: the Holy Spirit fills the apostles at Pentecost, and they begin to declare God's praises in many languages. In Acts 4, eight, Peter is filled with the Spirit and preaches to the rulers that Jesus is their only hope of salvation. Acts 4.31, the disciples are filled with the Spirit and they speak the word of God boldly in the face of persecution. Acts 9.20, Paul is filled with the Spirit and immediately, immediately begins to teach in the synagogues. See, there's this reaction of being filled with the Spirit that changes who you are. It gives you a boldness about what you believe because you're totally submitted to the work of the Holy Spirit inside of you. And I'm going to close with some of these things about the Holy Spirit. We'll pick it up next week. What does the Holy Spirit do? One of His jobs is this, is to baptize you into the church at the moment of conversion. When I pray to receive Christ, I prayed a very simple prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins. Forgive me. I invite you into my life from this day forward. I want to live for you. At that moment, the Bible says, I was made clean. My sins were paid for on the cross. I was given the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And the Bible is very clear that at that moment, I was baptized into the body of Christ, into the church. I became part of the universal church of Jesus Christ that, that believers all around the world who place their faith and trust in him. Here's another thing that the Holy Spirit does. It gives you a spiritual gift. Every one of you has been given a spiritual gift. Every one of you is called to participate in the work of God using the gifts and abilities that God has given to you. What, what I love about the church is there are no bench sitters at all. No one's sitting the bench. If you've ever played sports, I have a bit over my years in college and high school. You never want to sit the bench. You want to be out there playing. You want to be engaged. You want to be competing. What I love about the church is there's no bench sitters. Every one of us called to use the spiritual gift that God has given you. And when we do that, the body of Christ operates in a healthy way. We've been given such a blessing here at Riverview So many people serving in ways that you don't even know behind the scenes. And if you're not sure what your spiritual gift is, I would love to meet with you, talk with you, maybe begin to think about ways in which you can find your spiritual gift. But I always believe that God can much more easily steer a moving object, right? Just to find a way. Maybe it's something as simple as the veggie table ministry or the donut ministry or helping out with the kids doing something here at the church using your gifts and abilities to serve Christ here's a third thing that he does he teaches us and convicts us I remember when I was a seminary student back in Chicago I was hired as the women's basketball coach at Trinity International University and one day one of my players came in her name was Nadine and she was looking really sad and she just looked really discouraged and I said Nadine what's wrong you're not normally like this She said, Coach, I I come to this college and I come to this university and everyone here seems to have a connection with God that I don't have. And, And I open the Bible, I go to chapels and I hear the messages. I don't get it. I don't understand what he's talking about. And I said, Nadine, let me ask you a question. Have you ever placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? She goes, I don't really know what that means so we sat down and I explained to her what it meant and at that moment she prayed to receive Christ as her Lord and Savior and over the next few days I began to see an attitude change and I said Nadine you look a lot happier now than you did a few days ago what's happening she said coach I get it now I understand exactly when I read the Bible I'm understanding it now like I didn't before when I go to chapel I'm getting something out of the messages now See, the difference was this. The Holy Spirit was now living inside of her, illuminating, lighting up the Word of God. That's one of his jobs in my life and in yours, to light up the Word of God so it shines into our lives and we can more easily apply it. See, the disciples were waiting for this amazing work of the Holy Spirit, and it would empower them. They would turn the world, as the book of Acts says, they would turn the world upside down. These disciples who were hiding, cowering in fear when Jesus was crucified would now be empowered by the Holy Spirit and change the world. And lastly, what the Holy Spirit is going to do through your life, he's going to help you to glorify Jesus in everything you do. He's going to help you to point people to Jesus that your life would be this amazing reflection of the reality of Jesus in you. And you have a hope that the world does not understand until, like Nadine, they come to faith in Christ and they finally get it, that there is a God that created them, that there is a God that stamped his image upon them, and there is a God that went all the way to the cross to set them free from the penalty of their sin because he loves them so much. Amen, church? Amen. Let's bow our hearts in prayer today. And as your hearts are bowed, I want to ask you today, have you made a decision for Jesus Christ? Do you know that it's not about jumping through hoops and trying to do all these good works so your good works are greater than your bad works and then God may let you into heaven, but you're not sure and you're afraid of death and you're not sure what's going to happen? The Bible says this, you can know that you have eternal life. You can know it today by simply placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, a life-changing faith, saying, yes, Lord, I believe you died on the cross for me. You can do it right now in your seats. Tell them right now, Lord, I believe you died on the cross for me. I put my faith and trust in you. From this day forward, I'll put you in charge of my life. Lord, we love you today. Thank you for this study of the book of Acts. And Lord I pray that we would be like these individuals at the early days of the church gripped by the mission you've given to us. Gripped by it, changed by it, and that we would sense uh, you Holy Spirit working in our hearts and lives to make us more like Jesus. We love you today, Lord. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. Let's all stand together and sing this song. Oh praise We have elders and home group leaders that would love to pray with you up front hear about anything going on in your life. Please greet one another and live this year. All for Him. God bless you. See you on the patio. Hey, Doug.